As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Are you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is, it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing, upbuilding. Excuse me. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, as usual, whenever I'm up in Scotland, I, I like to bring back uh, illustrations uh, from Scotland, and one of the most interesting things that you see, and it's especially pronounced on the Isle of Lewis where we were, is the number of Presbyterian denominations in Scotland. 
I think uh, there are about eight or nine different Presbyterian denominations in Scotland, and most of them, uh, with maybe one or two exceptions, have churches on the Isle of Lewis. Now, the Isle of Lewis has a population, all of the Hebrides has a population of about 20,000. So imagine that that's fewer people than will come to work in the, the buildings that surround City Temple tomorrow. And so imagine that many Presbyterian denominations. And a lot of people get a bit offended by this. Uh, and they say, how in the world can you have so many different Presbyterian denominations? And what you find when you look at the history is that all of these denominations have come up for different reasons. Uh, they've not all, you know, they're, they're all come about because of a split of some sort. I mean, let's be clear on that. But they've split over different things and different reasons. Uh, you know, for example, some of the denominations were formed based on the view of how Christians should interact with the world. Uh, on one, <clears throat> in one denomination, they say, once you're a Christian, you shouldn't go to the cinema, the, or the cinema, uh, the cinema, uh, you shouldn't go to the theater, you shouldn't go to Cayley's, you shouldn't listen to music that's not Christian, uh, and on and on and on. Because if you do, you're kind of worldly. And this denomination was formed because it felt like another the other group of Christians it was part of at the time were too worldly. So they decided to split and form another denomination. Some of them were formed because of differences of opinion about religion. You know, the corporate expression of our Christianity. I'm not saying religion in a negative way, <clears throat> but for example, uh, there was one group of people that uh, felt like you should be able to, to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But then there was another group that said, no, 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 we should only be singing metrical psalms. That's translations of the psalms in meter, and that's the only things we should should sing, and so because of these differences of religious expressions, they ended up dividing and forming uh, uh, another denomination. And then there was another denomination that formed uh, because of uh, the sense of, you know, what you're personally responsible for. You know, how much of your salvation is due to your choice, how much is it, you know, due to other things, uh, how should we live, you know, what should your life look like, and there were differences of opinion, and so they split. Another deno denomination was, was uh, formed because of behavior among Christians. Um, uh, so, uh, so one denomination felt like, uh, one group of people felt like another didn't, uh, wasn't hard enough on another church leader when he may have sinned. And so they decided to split and come into another denomination. And then there are other denominations who have a slightly different understanding of, of how our faith operates, how we stand before God. Uh, and so they split on that. And so out of that, you've got this whole history in Scotland of all these denominations splitting and some of them come together for a while. Uh, one of the interesting things, well, I won't go into that. It would take me a, a, really, a long time to go out in Scottish church history. But it's really fascinating. All of the, if you follow a flow chart, of Scottish church history. It's really quite confusing of how different groups come together and then sometimes a group will merge with another group but another group is in the group that merges is not happy so they start their own group. 
And, and so it just, it, it's just a crazy mess of things. But it's exactly this that Paul is addressing in Romans 14. All of these things that have caused these Presbyterian groups to separate from one another, Paul has addressed here in this passage. The problem is that we don't really look at it uh, and we don't really consider what Paul has said here. Because we all have a tendency to judge other people within the body of Christ. We all have a tendency to judge this person's right, this person's wrong, I'm right, you're wrong, this group's right, this group's wrong. We all do it. It's kind of a natural part of our flesh, a natural part of our sinful humanity to kind of pass judgment on other groups. And in the end, when we start doing that, the outcome is always disunity and division. And that's always a problem because Christ has made us one. We are one in Christ. You know, a lot of times people say we need to work for unity, but we already have unity. What we need to work for is to maintain our unity. And so we need to look at what Paul is saying here because Paul addresses each one of these areas that have caused these Presbyterian groups to split. And for each area, he gives us counsel so we can know how we are to live. Now it's important here to note that the very first verse here in chapter 14 is the theme of the whole chapter. Paul says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So Paul is saying here, He's talking to people of faith. So he's talking to Christians who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead for their sins, and they have come into that relationship with Jesus where they're fully giving their life over to Christ. Now this is the group of people that Paul is talking about. He's not talking about people generally. He's talking about people in the church in the body of Christ. Now, not just people in this particular expression of the body of Christ, but I think this, uh, what Paul is teaching us here, applies across the body of Christ. That is, across all of those who trust in Jesus Christ completely as their Lord and Savior and are following Jesus. Okay? And he says, now there are some of these people who will be strong in faith, and some of these people who will be weak in faith. And he says, welcome the people who are weak in faith. Now notice what Paul does here. It's a, it's a little bit of reverse psychology because understand, Paul is talking about people, talking to people, people would have re read this letter who were both strong in the faith and weak in the faith. So Paul is essentially baiting people on and saying, okay, if you think you're strong in the faith, and that's most people, most Christians who've been around for a while, they think they're strong in the faith. So if you think you're strong in the faith, then welcome those people who are weak in the faith. Whether or not 
they are actually weak in the faith is almost immaterial. He's saying, if you think they're weak in the faith, then welcome them, but don't fight about opinions. There are certain things that are absolutely clear in the scripture, like Jesus died on the cross, rose bodily from the dead. There are certain things that are absolutely clear in the scripture, and then there are certain things that we can have a variety of opinions on. And he says, don't get caught up on those opinions. Don't fight about your opinions, but major on the things that unite us, not the things that divide us. In other words, all Christians love your neighbor, you know, love them as your neighbor. And even if you think they're weak in the faith, well, that's okay. Welcome them as long as they believe in Jesus Christ as crucified, risen bodily from the dead. Welcome them and work together with them. Be one with them. Okay, that's the theme for the whole passage. And then Paul goes on to talk about five different areas where we can have some disagreements, where we tend to judge one another, and we need to welcome one another instead of judging one another in these areas so that we can work together in unity. The first one there starts verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, for me, I'd love to say that all vegetarians are weak Christians. You know, that, that could be a really good verse there, right? You know, say, oh, okay, if you're a vegetarian, you know, I'll welcome you in the faith, because clearly, you know, Paul says you're weak. As a, that's not what Paul's talking about. These verses, in these verses, Paul is talking about how we interact with the world around us. Some Christians in the day would eat only vegetables because they didn't know if the meat they were eating had been sacrificed to idols. And they didn't think that meat should be sacrificed to idols. It's a bit like halal meat today. Halal meat is meat that's sacrificed to idols. And, uh, and so some Christians were saying, okay, I don't want to contaminate myself, so I'm going to eat only vegetables unless I kill the meat myself. Other Christians were saying, well, no, it doesn't make any difference. I can eat anything. And so it's how they interacted with the world. Now, we might say today, well, you know, some Christians believe that you can listen to rock and roll music. And some Christians believe that all rock and roll music, including Christian rock and roll music, is sinful. I remember that was a really big debate back in the 1970s. Aren't you glad it's over for the most part? You know, some people will say you can have drums in worship. Some say, no, you can't. Drums are worldly. As a Christian, can you go to the cinema? Can you go to the theater? Joseph Parker, a, a previous minister here at City Temple, had a big feud of falling out with, um, oh, who's that guy down? Spurgeon. You know, that, that second best preacher in London of the day. Uh, had a falling out with Spurgeon because Parker felt he could go to the theater and Spurgeon felt, no, that's wrong. And so Spurgeon decided not to have anything to do with Parker anymore, even though Parker supported his uh, orphanages. So how do you deal with this issue when one Christian thinks you can interact with the world in one way and another Christian thinks, no, you can't? Now, one thing you have to understand, Paul would not be talking about 
clearly sinful things. So if one Christian came up and said, well, you know, I can watch all the pornography that I want to, this is not a justification for that. Pornography is a sin. Okay? And that's why Paul is talking about opinions here, not about, you know, what, what we do. So how do we deal with this? He says, well, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? We need to understand as we look at each other, it is before our own master that we stand or fall. In other words, if you see somebody going to the theater and you think going to the theater is a sin, you don't have the right to pass judgment on them because they will give an account to God for that. Pay attention to yourself. Don't pay attention to them. You give an account each servant will give an account to God for the way they live their lives. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now again, Paul's not talking about sinful activities here. He's talking about differences of opinion and how we engage with the world. And so we don't judge one another because we're all accountable to God. That person that we want to judge has to give an account to God. So let God deal with it because it's not our job to pass judgment on Jesus' servant. Does that make sense? So that's what Paul says here. We stand or fall before our master and he will uphold us. That's dealing with the world. Then Paul moves on. Verse five, one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. What's Paul started talking about here? Paul is talking about how we interact within the church corporately. Or we, we might say how we, how we deal with religion or religious issues, but not using religion in a pejorative way, just using religion in the way that is common. In, in other words, Karen and I, for 34 years of marriage, uh, religiously, I've slept on the right-hand side of the bed. That's religion in our family. Understand? It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just the way it is. So men, if you sleep on the left-hand side, you're not going to hell. Don't worry about it. You got that? You see how that works? So this is how we observe religious things. Some people say that this Sunday should be a Sabbath, and you do no work whatsoever on Sunday. But there are other Christians that say, well, actually, the Sabbath was uh, sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night, uh, which historically was the Sabbath. Uh, and then there are other Christians that say, well, no, you know, after church, I want to go out to eat, and I want to go on a shopping spree on, on Oxford Street, uh, and I feel like I can do that. And uh, the key thing is, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. The key issue here is, are we living for God? Are we honoring Jesus intentionally? If we're not honoring the Lord consciously in the way we live our lives, in the way we do church, then there's an issue. Is it right to have a worship band? Or is it right to say, no, we don't want to have any instrumental music? Well, neither one is wrong. 
The key issue is, are you doing it unto the Lord? If it's just because it's tradition to have drums in worship, that's not good enough. You have to be doing it unto the Lord. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. So whether we live or die, we are the Lord's, and it is our responsibility to honor him. So we must not pass judgment on people who do it differently as long as what they are doing, they're doing it consciously to honor the Lord in light of the scripture. Okay? We see what Paul is saying there. So that's the second. That's how we interact amongst ourselves corporately, how we do religious stuff in honoring God and worshiping the Lord. Then Paul goes on, verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Now here, Paul is talking about our internal life. In other words, it's quite easy for us, and many Christians do this, I've seen it many times over the years, where a Christian will look at somebody else and say, well, you know, at least I'm not like this person, so I must be doing okay. And what we often do, we often judge or despise other Christians so that we feel better about our faith. So if I can find somebody who prays less than me, I feel pretty good. And if I find somebody who prays more than I do, then I feel pretty bad. If I find somebody that's giving more money than I give, then I, I kind of feel kind of bad about that. But if I, if I find that I'm giving the most money in the church, then I'm like, hey, you know, I'm pretty good. I give more money than everybody. In my last church, I had an elder who was like that. He knew that he gave more than anybody else in the church, and he was conceited about that. He judged himself good and judged everyone else less because he gave more. And Paul says that's wrong. You cannot do that. Paul says at the end of the day, you will give an account of yourself before God. Each of us will stand before the Lord and give an account and we can't say, oh, I at least I was better than so-and-so. That doesn't cut it. That doesn't cut it. You give an account before God, and the account you give before God, frankly, is based on possibility. So what could you have done? What could you have done with the resources God gave you? You know, sometimes we think that these people that we see all the time who seem to be superstar Christians, they're going to be up there at the top, but it might not be. What if somebody who turns out to be like a superstar Christian only gave 50%? They will give an account for God. What if somebody else who is broken and weak, who was abused and battered, and they gave their best, they gave 100%, 
but it was in comparison to the superstar Christian, it seemed like they were given 1%. Well, I tell you, if they gave 100%, they will score higher when they stand before the judgment seat of the Lord than the person given 50%, irrespective of the outcome. And that's what Paul's saying here. So he says, don't judge another person. Don't despise. Don't look down on. Don't say, oh, well, at least I'm better than this person. You will give an account of yourself before God. That's the third area. Then the fourth area. The fourth area is how we interact with each other individually, interpersonal interactions amongst us as individuals. The second one was our corporate worship expression, religious expression. Now it's our individual interaction. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ, thus serves Christ, is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. There are many places in the world, in fact, when I was growing up, I never would have taken a drink of alcohol in the presence of my mother. She was diametrically opposed to the consumption of alcohol uh, because all, all male members of both sides of my family uh, pretty much had a drinking problem at some point in time in their lives. And she just felt like it was wrong, it was sinful. There are certain cultures that I would go to that I would never consume alcohol, I never think about consuming alcohol, and I never talk about it. And the reason is, not because I believe it's wrong to consume alcohol, but because I know in those cultures, alcohol has a different connotation than it does in the United Kingdom. In many cultures, the consumption of alcohol is purely to get drunk, and it's done in very sinful contexts. And Paul's saying here, when you're dealing with other brothers and sisters in Christ, don't cause them to stumble. Be thinking about other people, not just about your freedom. Now, if I was in a culture that was opposed to alcohol, where Christians were opposed to alcohol, I'd be perfectly free in the Lord Jesus to consume it, but I wouldn't because it would cause people to stumble. And so Paul says we need to be thinking about other people all of the time and what benefits them, not what hinders us. And that's so countercultural today. People all around us in our culture are like, I gotta be free, I gotta be me, I gotta do what I wanna do and I don't care what anybody else says. And that is an ungodly, fleshly attitude that is unbecoming of any Christian. As Christians, we don't live for ourselves. That's what Paul's saying here. As Christians, it is not about us maximizing our freedom. As Christians, we first honor God, and then we need to serve other people. And by serving other people, we are serving Jesus. And so Paul tells us here, in our 
individual interactions as Christians, we must always be thinking about the other person and we must pursue, he tells us here, we must pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We need to go after that which brings peace. We need to go after that which helps other people be built up and grow strong in the Lord. We can't pass judgment on others and we don't live for ourselves. We live for Jesus and we live to serve other people. And then finally, Paul talks about how we interact with God. How do we deal with this in the light of God? Do not, verse 20, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now this is reiterating what he's, he's just said, but here's the key. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. You know, when you're approving something that the majority is disapproving, you're actually passing judgment on yourself, Paul says. But he goes on. But whoever has doubts is contemned if he eats, because he is eating not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Paul is saying here, when you come before God, you say you have faith, then he's saying live out your faith before God and make sure that everything you do is based on faith because if it's not, it's sin. That's everything you do. It's got to be based on faith. Do you know you can actually commit sin by coming to church? If you're not coming out of faith, if you're coming to please people, if you're coming just to be seen, that's not out of faith. That means coming is sinful. Isn't that intense? And this is what God's saying here. If it's not coming out of faith, if what you're doing is not because of your faith in God, then what you're doing is sin. So live out your faith before God. In the name of Jesus, we welcome one another in the body of Christ. Even if other people seem weak, even if other people don't seem to have the faith that we have, we have a responsibility as we interact with them to follow Paul's counsel here. We're always going to have differences of opinion about how we interact with the world. We'll always have differences of opinion about religion. We'll always have differences of opinion about how I need to live my life before the Lord. We'll all have differences of opinion about our interactions with others. And we'll all have differences of opinion about how we live and express our faith to God. That is a natural thing in the body of Christ. But we need to remember that we are all loved by Jesus if we're a Christian. We're all loved by Jesus. We're all welcomed by God and we must welcome one another. Because in doing so, we bring glory and honor to Jesus. And in doing so, we really do show love for our neighbors. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, help us to be people who do not pass judgment on others, other Christians, for what they do or what they don't do, how they live their lives. 
but Lord, help us to be responsible for how we live our lives. And help us live lives of faith. Help us live lives that flow from the relationship we have with you through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we live our lives, help us to bring you the glory, honor, and praise that you deserve in Jesus.